They say small business is the backbone of America. So what's the best way to support a small business? It is to learn more about them and share with your family and friends. We interview founders from across the world who have started and scaled their business through the ups and downs, long hours, and the rewards that come from sacrificing their time to build their business. Welcome to First to Arrive, Last to Leave, The Journey of an Entrepreneur. Welcome to another episode of First to Arrive, Last to Leave. I have the founder and CEO of GrowthWise Search Partners, Katie McConnell Olson. Katie, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here. We have met, um, you know, through the 10K SB world and the women's world, and then we got to meet in person at the summit. It was so cool. You're based out of California, correct? Amazing. I am. Yes. And I'm... I'm interested, I really want to talk to you because you're in the process of really working on expanding. And actually, this is a great topic because I just saw somebody in my in a Vistage forum ask about like expanding, like expanding on a net, you know, you get, you can build a business where you are locally, which I'm never going to say is easy, but it's easier. And then trying to expand a new territory where you're trying to build those relationships, trying to find the people. I definitely want to talk about all of this because I know you're kind of in the thick of it. So I'm sure you have a lot to share, (laughs) but before we get too deep in those weeds, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about GrowthWise Search Partners and a little history on it? Like what made you start it and, you know, when you started it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll kind of back up and thank you, by the way, for having me be here. Always nice to see you. Uh, so my story. So I actually have an accounting background. Um, I'm kind of a numbers nerd at heart, um, and I love to understand the backbone of how organizations are run from a financial perspective. So I got my degree in accounting. I took a foray into the world of public accounting auditing. So I have a CPA license, still have it uh, because I think, you know, worked hard for that, going to keep it, uh, but don't practice accounting anymore. So I uh, hopscotched my way through the accounting world learning a lot about, um, as I mentioned, kind of the backbone of this is what makes a that tells the story of a company, right? Um, And then kind of ended up by accident landing and recruiting. And at the time, I thought, okay, you know, this is going to be an interesting um, adventure for me to kind of start helping people with accounting hiring. And ultimately, I'll find my perfect job as a controller or a CFO, and I'll migrate back into accounting. And what I found is that I really loved helping change businesses and helping change people's lives. And so the really rad thing about recruiting is that you get to wake up every day and help businesses grow, right? The business that says, I can't you know, grow because I don't have an accountant or I don't have a whatever key role to help me get to the next level. Uh, we can help find that person um, and put them in the chair and then watch the business grow exponentially. And on the people side, we get to tell people, hey, I get to get you closer to home, get you a better boss, a better growth path, more money, all these things that are really life-changing, which is really awesome. So I ended up finding my way back into accounting, uh, running the recruiting organization within a very large accounting firm. So fast forward about eight months into that, and we were getting calls about clients that needed hiring. And I said, you know, I have a business opportunity. I feel like we can, you know, start something that will help companies with these challenges. And we're hearing the same things. People aren't sticking. I can't find people. I have a lot of turnover. There's something holistically going on. So let's tackle it like business advisors, not like headhunters. And let's really solve these business problems. 
So I started a practice within the CPA firm helping companies hire. Uh, and ultimately that CPA firm went through a couple of acquisitions, went from about 60 million to over a billion, um, which yeah, exactly. My response exactly, but like magnify your facial expression <laughs> by a whole year worth of doing that every day. Um, and so after that year, I said, okay, I'm leaving. Ended up starting GrowthWise um, in order to basically do just that, create business impact and change lives and you know help the trajectory of organizations all over the United States with all kinds of different roles under a non-contingent model. Okay. So did you start, did you have a team when you started or did you, did you go out on your own, like went from working in this huge company to solo? So a little bit of both. Um, the one gal that actually, I had a small team with the big company. Um, she actually exited at the same time I did and then ended up joining me. Um, she's actually now a client. She's in Austin, Texas. So in your in your neck of the woods, if you will. Yeah. Um, and she's back on the accounting side. We've staffed out basically her whole company. So she was kind of my first consultant, ended up leaving, moving out of town. Um, and now she's one of our clients and we've hired her probably seven or eight people in the past year and a half and watched her grow her business, which is awesome. That's cool. Now, do you focus on the accounting world or do you like, where's your sweet spot? So we say back office roles, um, which effectively means accounting, admin, HR, customer service, sales, kind of anything that's in the back of the house and not out in the front lines of the field. Um, with a couple caveats, we do have a little bit of a carve out in engineering. We've done quite a bit of machining lately. So if it's a high volume hiring strategy, strategy is strategy. Um, we can adapt a strategy for any uh type of role, but our sweet spot is really in kind of the back office corporate type roles. Okay. So as you're building this, like kind of, you know, talk, I always love to hear the the starting story, like going from solo, like call, consultant partner to a team. What was that process like? Did you, were you able to utilize a lot, which you, which you had done in the, in the previous corporate world? Were you starting over a little bit? Like, can you talk about navigating that world of building a business like how many years has it been i should ask that first so i'm in my fifth year so okay I started in 2018 okay uh, so yeah i mean it's definitely goes in iterations and it's really interesting because we watch our clients go through the same thing if i'm working with a small company where maybe the first hire is usually your, your executive assistant um in my case i kind of launched right out of a cannon with a recruiter because i had you know someone who came with me mm -hmm. um but then my next hire was an executive admin and so i think you know you end up being the doer and the this the chief everything officer the ceo right um you're the business development you're the accountant you're the admin you're all the doer you're all the things um and then as you grow hiring more people so having that administrative um, arm to kind of help manage the calendaring, the scheduling, do the sales enablement and put me in my highest and best use, which of course we talk about all the time is what's your highest and best use augment around that. So you can really be in your superpower, um, was my first hire. And then after that kind of started building and growing. And then of course COVID hit, um, you know, I started in mid 2018, March 29th, March, 2020, of course, you know, the world turned on its axis. Um, and we lost a ton of our clients, a ton of our revenue. It was a really scary time for everyone that runs a company, yeah. um, our clients included. And and so then that was a, okay, well, what are we going to do? 
um, had a period of rebuilding where it was back to me and an admin. Um, and then we rebuilt again with a slightly different business model. And of course we just saw the market go boop, boop, um, which was unexpected. And then everyone needed a recruiter and no one could find people. So it ended up being prosperous for us, but it was, you know, a V shape for sure. Yeah. And that's, it's very scary when you're in the bottom of the V shape and you have no idea that it's about to become a V you're like, is this yes. going to stay, you know what I mean? Down for a while. What? And you never know. I think yeah. business hopefully works a little bit like the heartbeat. You know, it goes boop, 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 boop. And sometimes it feels like, you know, we always talk about riding the roller coaster of you're just strapped in and you're stuck and you can't get off. And sometimes it's fun and sometimes you're just, you know, crying and hoping for it to stop. <laughs> yeah. Been on both sides of those for sure. What yeah. did you change? And maybe within the same day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And honestly, we'll go hour on this one sometimes. But um, what did you change in your business when you said, you know, you had to make some shifts? What what changed in those shifts when you were basically, you know, restarting in some areas? Yeah, absolutely. So we have always been non-contingent. Um, it's something that I really believe in. I don't. What does that in... mean exactly? Yes. OK, so most um, recruiters and headhunters, if you, especially all the large agencies, um, they typically charge a percentage of salary. So Aaron, if you wanted to hire, let's say that executive assistant, um, you might go to an agency and they're going to give you resumes. And if you make a hire, you're going to pay say 30% of their salary. Okay. So what that means is that if you pay that person, let's say a hundred thousand dollar person, you're going to pay a $30,000 fee. Now, let's say that that person ends up negotiating and you have to pay them 110000 Well, now you're going to pay 30% of 110000 instead of 100000 So it's contingent on the hire and it's typically a percentage. I am a bit of a market disruptor. Well, I'm just a disruptor in general. Uh, and I said, I don't like that. I don't think it's fair because it incentivizes expediency, not a long-term hire, right? I don't get paid unless you make a hire. So you better make a hire fast, um, irregardless to your business. I don't like it. I also don't think that I should charge you more money for doing the same job just because you had to pay someone else more money. I think it's total garbage. So I said, we're going to do this different. We're going to charge on value. We're going to do a time and materials model and we're, you're going to pay for the effort that we put into this thing as integrated partners. So we both have skin in the game. And at the end of the day, you're going to pay a success fee for our work that's set up front that, you know, right out of the gate, that's totally transparent, regardless of what that salary is. Mm. So we set up that model from the get go, which is more consulting based. Um, runs more like a CPA firm or a law firm than a contingent recruiter, incentivizes the right things and is really value oriented. That said, my pivot in COVID was to also do kind of like an outside um, recruitment placement outsourcing, if you will. So we essentially also do another business model now that we didn't have before COVID, um, where we are your recruiting department. So okay. for companies that have somewhere between one and five hires a month, we are your recruiting department. So we're constantly out there looking for people. We're working recs. It works amazingly well for companies with high growth. Um, we build out process. We set up templates. We do all the things for them and they pay us on a flat fee month over month on retainer and we handle everything. That's awesome. Okay. That's good to know on the contingent side. That's really interesting. So not a lot of people in your industry do that? They don't. Interesting. And how has that been for... Is there a lot of education to that? Are people really receptive to it? Like how do people, because it seemed, I'd be interested to hear if they're like skeptical. 
Sometimes they are. Um, you know, it's funny. I actually had a prospect call earlier this week with someone that said, I don't like it. I don't want it. I'd rather pay a contingent. And I thought, well, that was humbling because I don't get a lot of that. Most people like it, uh, especially, you know, I came from the CPA world. CPAs are still great referral partners because they're on the front lines of watching their, you know, the challenges with their business clients. Um, they like it because it's value oriented. Not everybody does. Mm -hmm. Window shoppers that really want to look at resumes without the commitment of paying somebody tend to not like it. And that's fine. They tend to not be our clients. When we take on a search, we fill the search. You know, we're getting all the way to the finish line um, and we have a really good success rate and our retention is strong. So if you're window shopping, you're I might send you to a contingent shop and say, you don't want to pay us if you're not really committed to this. Um, but if you're really committed all the way through to being a partner and being really involved in the process, it's more value oriented. We tend to come in at less, um, less expensive. You know, our average mm -hmm. is somewhere between 15 and 20% typically. Wow. Um, and if it's more than that, it's because we're in the interview with you. We've given you an interview guide. We've done personality indexing, or we're doing some other value add background check or whatnot that you're not going to get from a regular headhunting shop. Okay. Okay. So mixed bag. We'll see as the market evolves to what um, people favor. I want to work with clients that are really um, committed to partnership with us and, you know, have, have as much investment in the outcome as we do. Yeah. No. And it's super interesting too. Like I was just talking to somebody about this earlier where, you know, there's the whole hiring and in, I'm old enough now that I can say when I was younger, but when I was younger, like you took a job and you stayed at that job and you know even for at least a few years like you were you were jumping you were a jumper if you like jumped around every few years right where now people have no problem with I started here and now I'm done like I it's not a good fit I'm gonna leave you know I'm not happy here or whatever after a couple months so that hiring can it seems it can be a lot more frequent than you want it to be even if you do find a great fit or a right fit and then they, you know, six months in, they're like, yeah, no, this isn't a fit. Now back to square one, too. So finding that right person to me is just now more important than ever because people aren't going to stay if it's if it's not working out. They're not going to stick it out at all anymore. Totally. And, you know, one of the other things that we do is because we're a full what we call human capital consultancy, we're doing the exit interview for our clients, too. So mm -hmm. if they leave after six months, tag us in. We can find things out because we know how to ask the questions and they'll tell us things that they're probably not going to tell their direct line manager. So we can kind of look at patterns and go, okay, you know, with an exit interview, you always kind of separate the truth from the untruth. Yeah. Um, there's going to be some of that. And let's look at systemic patterns. Okay. We're seeing a pattern that management is disorganized or that communication is lacking or that there's no growth plan. So let's get in front of some of these things. So we don't keep seeing that turnover. We can help you with that. And that's kind of unique because it straddles hiring. It's not HR compliance, you know, make sure you follow the law, stay out of jail, stay out of court kind of stuff. It's somewhere in between in like a culture hiring retention sort of bubble. Yeah. That's pretty fun. Yeah. No, that's, I love that idea too, of really finding out so you don't keep making, making the same mistake over and over again. So outside of COVID, you're five years in, um, what other thing, has there been any big pains in your business and really, or obstacles you've had to overcome to get where you are? I mean, obviously <laughs> COVID's a big one. Okay. Where, but you know, 
you know, other things happen in business too. I mean, you know, the world shuts down. That's one. But what else have you had to overcome in in your business, um, just in the in the growth and and where you are today? I mean, every day, pains in the business, pains in the other places, right? Um, maybe this is a family show, so we won't talk about that. But um, <laughs> it's hard all the time being a small business owner, right? And I mean, this is why I love servicing the kinds of clients that we service. Um, on the low side, we're about, you know, clients that are about a million or rapidly growing smaller than that. On the big side, maybe about 200 million. So, you know, I'd consider that fairly small business, right? Mm-hmm. Um it's a constant struggle between get work, do work, right? Um, I, when I first started, was very much in the business because I was all the things. And as I've hired a team, Aaron, do, have you ever seen Ted Lasso? Oh, like you're speaking my language. I love Ted right. Lasso. Yes. I have learned so much about Ted from life about Ted Lasso and leadership. Yes. Like, yes. Here's a guy that never, you know, did the thing, and he's m- motivating all these people and making them do the thing. And I think it's really challenging for many business owners when you started the business because you're the best at doing the thing. You're on the field. And now all of a sudden it's like you can't run the ball down the field and be the coach and be on the field and the sidelines at the same time. So get out of the way, you know, and mm-hmm. Ted Lasso stands on the sidelines so well. Um, he has been, that show has been so motivating for me to kind of watch between the lines on like, okay, this resonates because Sometimes I want to be on the field and just, okay, everyone move out of the way. Let me show you how it's done. And I've really challenged myself and told my staff people, if I'm doing that, shove me back out of the way and tell me, no, don't do me, you know, don't do it for me. Show me how to do it because that's how they're going to learn. And so the transition from player to coach is, um, you know, a constant work in process. (laughs) I love that analogy. And when are they coming out with season three? But I digress. Oh my gosh. I wore a Ted Lasso shirt to the gym this morning. It's funny you brought him up and people were like, when is season three? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All the inspirational quotes that are Ted Lasso. And, and one of his other ones that's one of my favorite is he gives some advice to be a goldfish. You know, we yes. remember things for five seconds. And that's something I've really had to learn too is not to take things so personally. Um, we don't have a 100% track record. Who does? Mistakes right. are made. You know, and letting people make mistakes and get messy is something that I really struggled with because I like everything to be perfectly packaged and delivered for our clients. Um, and we have to give room for, for margin of error to get creative. And also we're in the people business. So while our retention is very, very strong on our hiring, it's not a hundred percent. Sometimes stuff happens. Sometimes it's not a good fit. You know, crazy things happen when you're in the people business. And so not wanting to go drive off a bridge every time, something goes awry and sort of figuring out how to, you know, be a goldfish. Yeah. No, I love it. Now, how about expanding? Because this is not easy. And I'll be honest with you, I've had businesses where I've even tried to expand from, you know, one city to another city. It was a very, you know, small city driven company, but it gets hard because you as a business owner, you can't be everywhere. You can't be in every city you 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 know take care of and as you get to a place where you're expanding across the country how has that been for you and what has your strategy been i know you like you're putting together networking events to try you know just to meet new people but can you talk about that process and a little bit about those ups and downs within that to trying to expand outside of california 
Well, we probably do about 30% of our business in California, and the rest of it is in other metro markets. Okay. So, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So those have been picked uh, partly by way of relationship and partly by way of, you know, where our clients are growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of our business is mostly a referral-driven strategy or kind of a who-do-you-know strategy. Um, again, a little bit of a market disruption from how a, a regular recruiter does business. So with uh, technology, I mean, here we are, right, in two different places. That has been a, a fantastic way to enable us to do business across different states. Um, as long as we know the metro market and we know the strategy, we aren't really finding that geography has been a constraint at all, except for on the networking side when it comes to really, you know, we're in 2D right now. I'm hearing you, I'm seeing you, but I'm not mm-hmm. experiencing you in all five of my senses. And so there's a little bit of this sort of um, robbing of the human experience with all of our networking that's happening in the world as a result of this connectedness, right? Yeah. So I don't know that we have that completely figured out yet. Um, I'm traveling more now than I did before, for sure, to get to other places. But some of our biggest clients, we've never actually met in person. We do everything on Zoom. Wow. How are you hiring, too? Like, are you so if you're expanding to a city, maybe your clients there, whatever. Do you have staff in that city or are you guys still pretty much staying remote where you don't like, is there is there a relationship side that you want to stick to where somebody can go to local things and, and start meeting people? Like, how do you how do you navigate that? I mean, I don't know that I have that figured out. I don't have that figured out. Um, I love there's a couple metro markets that I would love to get entrenched in more, including the Texas market, as you know, where you are. Um, I think it really revolves around the FaceTime of being there. There are a ton of networking groups that um, have chapters all over that are mostly virtual, which is great. And some of them are starting to migrate back to in-person, which I think is also great. Mm-hmm. Um, my team is here um, in California. We are actually in the office today. Um, we're in two or three days a week of our five-day week, and I do maintain an office. So I strongly believe in the the presence in person, in engaging all five of our senses, um, in making you know community together as a team and uh, kind of keeping that small business feel. So I won't migrate to a completely virtual environment. We do have a client right now that's not in my market that wants someone on site once a week and it will necessitate a hire um, of someone that's not gonna be here twice a week with us. So that will change the dynamic of the business and you know, buckle up, strap in for that roller coaster ride of, I could be talking to you six months from now and saying it all blew up in my face or I could say we've pivoted and adapted and figured it out and we're making it work. Yeah. Yeah. You got to try it though. You got to get in. I think that, you know, that's the messiness and the beauty of business ownership as well as sort of the the terror ride is the, okay, let me try it and get messy and then fail. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that didn't generate revenue or well that did, but it completely distracted me from my mission. So let's not do that anymore. Uh, Let's go in a different direction and try something different. Yeah. No. And you got to, that's always how I look at it. It's like, okay, if I'm on my deathbed and I look back and I didn't take this chance or didn't try to push into this, you know, and I I get like, will it make or break you on a business decision? But if I'll have regrets doing it, I'm going to do it, you know, and that's just how I always go in. Like, I know this could be a big thing for my business. I'm going to do it. Or did I do it because I was scared? And if I'm scared, I'm not, that's just not enough reason for me not to do it. So I think <laughs> you got to try it and know it yeah. could get bumpy. 
But um, and know your numbers, right? Don't do it if the accounting doesn't make sense. That's where my my number nerd hat comes in. I'm like, make sure it's not going to sabotage you cash flow. Um, but if you can afford it, yeah, I mean, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? The the most experience and the best lessons that I have learned have been because of that. Yeah, skin knees. Yep, a hundred percent. So I would. This is a perfect segue into the 10k conversation, 10k SB conversation, because. It's funny you mentioned that because if I were to ask 100% of SKB, you know, 10K SBRs, probably 99% of them would say the best thing I learned was learning my numbers and learning and understanding numbers. So you being a numbers person and going into this, can you talk about, um, you know, GrowthWise Search Partners pre-10K SB and then post-10K SB and really what was the eye-opening things for you and what changed for you? Yes. So... Yes, I felt so bad for the people that had never been in an accounting class before, all of our creatives um, that got a two-week crash course in the MBA of finance. I'm like, oh my God, you poor people. Um, I had a little bit of a leg up since you know I have a CPA license, um, but I really used that time to hone in on my pro formas, my projections, kind of really looking at um, more ratios. And so it was still really valuable. I just kind of went 2.0 with what I was already doing with my numbers, which was great. And the coach that I had was absolutely incredible. She also had an accounting background and really helped me through, um, you know, some of those little bits and pieces. My biggest um, piece of value from the Goldman Sachs program was the community. And I have to tell you, I actually just joined a local CEO forum group um, here in the California, although we're meeting online too, um, because I missed that community so much. Just the value of being able to pick up the phone and, you know, call you and say, I am on the roller coaster ride today and tell me that it's going to be okay because I feel like it's going to crash and burn and we're all going to live in a van down by the river, you know, and just being able to have someone on the other end say, I was there three months ago and let me give you a pep talk and bend an ear and just, we all need that so much because it is very lonely and the bigger that you grow, the lonelier that it seems like it is. No, it's true. Well, and even just, you know, because you, you were virtual, right? Like you did the national court. Okay. Yep. So there, and and not that this isn't possible virtually, but I will tell you like our, um, our group, you could see the change like from week one to week 10, where a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we gather, like you don't want to be the weak link, right? So whenever, oh, how are you doing? I'm so good. I'm busy. <laughs> I'm just so busy. You know, like we just come up with this like armor that we can't, you know, I don't, I don't want you to see me. It's like social media. The world is social media. The more I look perfect on social media, the better off things are. I need you to, I need you to know it's perfect. It's all good. And what that did for us was like, all of a sudden you saw like week eight, nine, 10, it was like the rawness happened where the fake smile wasn't on anymore. Like the emotion, like, it's just like, and not that you want to be Eeyore, but it was like, here, here's the real deal. Like I'm struggling. Like this has been really hard or my best employee. Like we have a, a Slack group that we still connect in and we still talk. And it's been a year. We actually, it was a year ago today that we started. And in the Slack group, there's like a channel in our Slack group, like I just need to get stuff off my chest today. Like I've got to be, you know, and what you know, somebody just put in there, like my best person kind of just came from right field and, or came from left field and, and quit on me today. Like things have been really hard. I'm just, you know, and it's just like, just to have those abilities to be honest 
Um, because as a CEO, sometimes it's really hard. Like, you're right. The higher you go up, the lonelier it gets. And then when things are kind of falling apart, do you really want to be that person to tell others that things are falling apart? Do you guys, right. do you still connect with your group? Like, out, like where you're still talking and still get, getting Absolutely. around together? I am, you know, a natural networker. Um, social capital is my most important asset. So I lead a, a monthly Zoom meetup that I host for my cohort. And then we also have a WhatsApp group and people are constantly, you know, hey, I need a little support today or what are we celebrating? You know, when mm. big things someone franchised, so we're all celebrating um, or just advice. Hey, does anyone have a template for blah, 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 you know, a non-compete agreement or of course, the federal government is going to get rid of those, but, you know, um, some kind of legal template or whatever people need to be able to share resources and things like that. Yeah, that's another important thing, too, on the wins. Like, how many times is it just like you had a good win and it's like, OK, on to the next thing. Right. And just like you don't even take that time to really celebrate that win. And it's so important to do that stuff, too. I think it's it's awesome to have that group in there. Um, what was your growth um, growth plan? My, I, I want to come back to the celebrating wins, by yes, the way. Go, um, don't the do that. Plan, for me, it was um, continuing organic expansion through more of what we were already doing. So mm -hmm. I didn't have a, I'm going to launch this additional service line. Um, I've actually kind of let some things go. And we've tried to get more of a narrow and deep river rather than a wider river. Mm -hmm. As I've learned about, you know, just because it makes dollars doesn't mean it really makes sense. Um and so my growth plan was really kind of getting more narrow and um, expanding revenue growth and then organic team growth through client impact. Okay. I love it. I love that. Not all money is good money. Very yes. good lesson. So what were you going to say about the wins? Oh, celebrating successes. I think, I mean, we talk a lot about retention and company culture, right? Um, in my organization, we have a champagne bell. I literally got it from World Market and it says ring bell for champagne. It's like a little, you know, bellhop bell. Uh, we have it in the office, but even if we're virtual, we always send out a message, ring the bell, ring the bell, um, anytime somebody makes a hire for a company. So that's something that we do. And then when we're in the office, we, you know, run over and ding, ring the bell. And so, and then if we um, win a new client, we ring the bell. So it's kind of like this fun way that we can celebrate uh, together, you know, and all be on the same team when we score a goal uh, to use Tad Lasso term, which is fun. And I would tell every organization, if you're not doing that, really spend some time after you listen to this conversation thinking about, well, how are we celebrating wins and how can we get unified with something as little as an $8 bell to really unify our mission and celebrate the little things? I love that advice. It's like so simple. It, you know, we think we have to do these extravagant things, but it's the simple things. And that would, that's a great, you're, you're like giving me great segues, but a great segue into another question in the sense of what have you done outside of Champagne Bell, which I love, uh, to really cultivate and build your team and, you know, in a world that I'm sure recruiting, there was a, or placements, I'm sure there was a ton of opportunity to jump ship and go other places. What did you do as, as within your business to really cultivate that and, you know, get people to, to feel big, like a bigger part of something? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So we actually rebranded the company last year. Um, it was it did have a different name that I started with um, that wasn't super representative of what we were doing. So the rebrand last year, which actually after I got back from Washington D.C., Goldman Sachs, I said, okay, you know what? As painful as a rebrand is, and for anyone listening that's gone through it, I feel you. It is a giant pain. 
um, this has to happen. So we did that. And as part of that, we actually turned inside out the core values. And it was a great opportunity to relaunch the core values and make them really more impact oriented and less um, uh, prescriptive, if you will, um, to make it feel more like, why do we come here every single day? And what are we really trying to do? You know, and mission, make it more mission oriented. So as part of that, there's now a welcome video from me um, for when candidates start on their first day that kind of talks about the mission. I got that from the CEO of Taco Bell, um, who's doing a lot of this work and is is an incredible person. He's very about being mission oriented and they have amazing retention and growth plan in the fast food industry, right? Um, and so he did it. And of course, his went viral on YouTube in like 30 seconds. And, you know, they've been getting all kinds of applications. Mine, not so much, um, but still, <laughs> you know, taking his advice and uh, and trying to make it more of an impact-oriented place where we're all on the same team every single day to achieve the same goal. And it's not, you know, one person's here because it's just a job and they're here for the money and one person's here because, you know, it's a condition of their parole. Some of that is the interview process um, and other pieces of that are, I think, mission alignment. So that was a big lesson for me last year. Um, I had turnover on my team too. You know, I had turnover in COVID because of COVID. I had turnover after that because of other um, other circumstances. And I learned, you know, stepped on some rakes around um, what motivates people. Um, I think I work a lot harder than, or I work more hours, I should say, um, than others on the team. And I've had to learn to set a better example as well um, because it's not the culture that I want to create and it doesn't keep people no matter how much, you know, the other, it just... It just doesn't. So everyone's motivated by different things. And I'm learning every day as well. You know, I'm in the trenches with our clients, learning these lessons along with them. I love it. I love stepping on rakes. I've never heard that term before, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You want to do some rapid fire? Rapid fire me. Okay. okay. All right. What is your favorite beverage? Oh, red wine. Okay. <laughs> and you supposed to make like, um, what's your favorite? If I could buy you any bottle, what's your favorite? Oh gosh. Well, I'm so close to Napa. So Napa Cabernet, of course, is where that, you know, our California hearts are there. Um, I'm having a love affair with Bordeaux reds right now, having just been to Bordeaux last, um, fall, I'm really into wine. So I study it. I travel the world taking wine classes and nerding out on, you know, second, secondary fermentation. So I'm super into it. I love it. <laughs> but give me a good nap a cab any day of the week. Okay. Uh, best advice you've ever been given? Oh, my gosh. And outside of everything Ted Lasso has said, which has been very helpful, um, I think, I don't remember who said it, but um, my favorite quote of all time is, if you want things others don't have, you have to be willing to do things others won't do. Um, and I remember that all the time when I'm, you know, oh, do I really want to go to the gym today? Well, no, but you know what? You know, if you want those gains, if you want to have the thing, you got to be willing to put in the time. And the same goes with the business, um, with fostering relationships, with all the hard things, right? Yeah. No, it's so true. There's just days where I'm like, I don't, do I really want to keep doing this? But it's like, or, or go back to what you had, Erin. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's your other option. So. Do you listen to Glennon Doyle? Her yes. Podcast? Yes. Love her. I do that is such simple advice. We can do hard things. Yeah. We can. We have, and we do. Yeah, like if most of us look back on our life, like the things that we've endured and the things that we've gone through, like, but then we get through them and we're like, oh, it wasn't that bad. You know what I mean? Like it was like, it was really hard while you're going through it, but then, and it's like, if you just kind of continue that, 
And it, I, I agree. Like, cause if you're just not, it, it, there's this temptation of just hitting a point. Like I was just listening to a book the other day where it's like, you're never going to hit a point. Like the goal is like success is not, I'm done. It's you have to have that mentality. That's a continuation of growth always. Like that's what it's going to be. Otherwise it's really not worth living. And, but sometimes that plateau feels a little tempting. <laughs> yes. Well, and the human brain psychologically is designed to not remember things as being as hard as they really were. Like you have children. I don't, but I hear that it's pretty terrible to give birth to them. Um, if we remembered how awful it really was, we probably wouldn't have more, right? So biologically, we're designed to go, oh, well, it wasn't really that bad. So I think if we can keep that in mind, it's like, well, I'm going to look back on this and, you know, think of the fondness, the good old days. We always think about the good old days. Like, they weren't really that good, right? They weren't as good as we think they were. They're probably better now. But, you know, we romanticize. So true. All right. Dinner with anyone. If you could have dinner with anyone alive or passed away, who would it be? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I kind of want to say Ryan Reynolds because, you know, I was this close to having him go out to dinner with me when I saw him from afar um, at Goldman Sachs in in uh, July, right, at the ball field. Yeah. Uh, I miss I that day. Saw- I'm so bummed. Oh, I mean, I'm pretty sure he saw me and there was definitely, you know, we were going to go to dinner, but then, you know. He was ready to leave Blake. I heard it. <laughs> I read it somewhere. <laughs> I love her too. She can come too. Uh, but he is, in addition to being hilarious and, you know, really good looking and funny and creative, he's doing all kinds of really awesome entrepreneurial things. He's, I look at people that have children on top of business, on top of business, and their hands are in all these pots and he's got this, the aviation gin and it's like, how are they doing it all? So I'd love to just have a conversation with him. Um, Justin Timberlake for the same reason yeah. he's doing so many cool things and he's an entrepreneur and just seems like a really fun person to hang out with yeah I just read an article about Ryan Reynolds and um Ron I can't think of his last or uh his Rob the buddy that they bought the soccer team and then they're do, or the whales t- the soccer team I think in anyway they were talking about how they've transformed they put out the tv show the documentary kind of showing the soccer team and they've like literally transformed this town where like this pub owner, like this small business owner was like, he's, it's completely changed now that, and their business is thriving, all that. And just like to be able to have that ability to change people's lives just by doing what you're doing, it just seems so incredible to me. I would love to, you know, to be able to have that kind of impact. Yes. And I think Mindy Carling also, the comedian, she's amazing. I mean, talk about a market disruptor. You know, she's coming in as a minority female in an industry that's male dominated and just blowing it out of the water, doing things completely not what Hollywood says you should. And she's brilliant and graceful and amazing. And I would love to meet her too. Yeah, she's killing it right now. I love her too. Okay. What's your morning routine? Morning routine. Well, I'm a little spoiled. Um, My husband is in construction. He leaves the house before me. So he brings me a green tea. Um, put that down for my second favorite beverage Okay. Um, in the morning. And then I really spend some time um, returning emails, getting organized for the day. I kind of plan the week and then the day the day before. So I know what's coming, but I will, you know, make sure there are any fires that need to be put out, um, do some reading. I find that I write my best marketing content and creative work right in the morning when juices are firing. So that all gets done. Um, you know, then I hit the day, get showered, try to you know, fix it up as much as works for the day. 
Um, a couple of days a week, I come into the office with the team. So I really protect that time for meetings with the team. And we have what we call a dashboard every Monday where we talk about the progress of all of our client jobs and who needs what support. Um, the days that I'm not in the office, I protect more for sales activities or networking stuff. Um, I'm an evening workout person. Those people, you 5am people that can get up and work out in the morning. I love you, but my back hurts and I am not in my best shape to be doing that. And I just don't, I can't. So I work out at the end of the day. I have to be careful. I can't get up too early. Otherwise I am useless. Like it completely backfires on me. I have this sweet spot. I get up at 530. I do some work and then I go to a seven o'clock workout. That's my sweet spot. Um, Oof, even that, like, I don't want to see other people at a workout class before 830 in the morning. <laughs> so I hit the gym a couple days a week at 430 or five. Um, the other days I work out with my husband and we have a home gym set up and we're both like six to 7 PM workouters. Of course we don't have kids, so, you know, we can live our best lives like that, but, um, I'm just have more power in behind me in the evenings. No, I hear that though, for sure. Um, top bucket list item. Well, um, I really wanted to go to France. So I just crossed that off the list mm. in Champagne, Bordeaux. Um, so now I want to go to the south of France and I really want to stay in Tuscany. Mm. So that's kind of a bucket list item. A little bit of a random one. I really love octopus. They're incredible. I don't know how much you know about them, but they are. Um, I saw the Netflix here. special. I feel pretty, okay. pretty well versed in octopus. Just kidding. But no, so I did watch expert. it and I love it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. So it is my dream to actually interact with an octopus. Um, so if anyone is listening and has a connection or you own a zoo, please um, message me and let's have a conversation about it. I would love to meet an octopus. Um, I've studied them and read all about them and I'm really into them. You, my office is full of octopus things, so I really want to meet one. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and then last, what's your guilty pleasure? And you don't have to feel guilty about it, but what's your guilty pleasure? You know what? This is the most random thing. I mean, I already admitted that my back hurts in the morning. So let me just prove to you that I'm a thousand years old. I recently got into puzzles, jigsaw puzzles. Mm. So my mom does jigsaw puzzles and I inherited one. Okay, sure. You know, this would be fun. It's been pouring rain in the winter. Why not? I have found it to be the most cathartic, anti-anxiety. It engages your brain. It's fun. You get that win when you find that piece that you have it, you know, do you do puzzles? I will some, we, we go into spurts on puzzles where sometimes there'll be one sitting out for a while and we work on it. We work on it. Um, I'm digressing, but the problem, my, th my thing with puzzles is that it, like I get obsessed with it and then it like yes. takes up way too much more, like way too much time than it should be. But yeah. Yes. I have found that too. It's like, okay, we're going to do a puzzle six hours later. We have like three card tables out. We're two bottles of wine in. It's two in the morning. My eyes are bugging out of my head. And my husband's like, give it up already. Like, I've got to get it done tonight. You know? I know. It's like, um, section. I just got to get this section done. Yes. yes. Um, but it really is kind of stress relieving and it's fun. And so lately that's been my, um, you know, guilty pleasure of it's such a rock star lifestyle that I lead with my puzzles. But um, that's been really fun. I'm not really much of a TV watcher, maybe a little bit, but um not so much. I read a lot of business books, so I'm not too exciting in that regard. But I like I'm liking some puzzles. No, you I was laughing because um before we started recording, my sound engineer and I, her name is Lindsay, we were talking and I said, "I'm getting old. I'm at the age 
where I get really excited about all the uses of baking soda. Like I watch a TikTok and I'm like, oh my gosh, did you know that I could do this with baking soda? Like I buy baking soda in bulk. I'm like, what has happened to me that like baking soda is my joy? Like just all the things. stuff. Yeah, it's just cleaning stuff. I mean, there's just like crazy use. I make my own carpet cleaner. I mean, it's, it's really pathetic how much I love baking soda and love learning about baking soda, so... I have to look into this. I'm big into DIY too. I just made my own um, simple syrups for lattes. So I like to cook and pair wine and food. So I'm doing a little bit of, you know, DIYing. It was probably $40 to make a $5 coffee syrup. (laughs) Uh, But that's not the point. Right. (laughs) I'm totally in that place too. I'm like, I'm going to make it myself. And I'm like, I just spent $70 to make cupcakes I could have bought for eight at the grocery store, but but they're they're made with love, I guess, is the uh, <laughs> what's in there. So, uh, Katie, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, where is the best place for them to go? Yes. Well, hopefully I'm pretty accessible, given that I'm a recruiter, right? So we're out and about a lot on LinkedIn. Uh, Katie McConnell Olson, CPA, PHR, is my LinkedIn. Or you can find us through GrowthWise Search Partners on LinkedIn or Google. Uh, Katie at growthwisesearch.com is my email address. So I'm reachable there as well. And those are probably the best places to find me. Awesome. And of course, all that will be on our notes page over at firsttoarrivelasttoleave.com. Katie, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. 